guys doing tonight? It feels funny using the microphone. <laughs> the smaller. We're recording so the, the internet can hear you. Um, turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 34. When my dad asked me uh, in staff meeting this week if I'd be able to cover for him because he had a wedding, I said, awesome, yeah, I'd love to. Um, I had just preached on Genesis chapter 31, so I figured this week we were going to be in Genesis 32. Uh, I was wrong. Sunday night is ahead of Sunday morning. Uh, I, I do not know what is happening uh, because that's not normal. Um, so I was like, oh, yeah, Genesis 34. I, I wasn't expecting that. Let me go read it. Uh, and then I read it, and I was like, thanks, Dad. <laughs> I was like, thank you. Um, and uh, it is a very sordid story, uh, so we're going to try and sort through it a little bit tonight. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to just read through it straight, uh, and then I'm going to go back, uh, and I'm going to break some things down verse by verse. Um, but before we do that, uh, this is a portion of Scripture. Uh, we see three times in the book of Genesis where we have like some kind of sordid stories, uh, and they all revolve around some of the sons of Leah. Um, and one commentator, I, I, I thought this was really keen, he said, uh, maybe this was God's way of showing his disapproval of what Laban did uh, by doing the old switcheroo and giving Leah first. Her sons were just bad dudes. Uh, and we're going to see some of that tonight. Uh, as we look at this really interesting story, uh, one that when you try and pull life application from, um, you're like, wow. Um, but I think there's some really uh, important things. The Holy Spirit doesn't mess up when he puts things in Scripture. Uh, so this is here for a reason. Uh, and so maybe we have to dig a little bit deeper. Um, but hey, it's to the glory of God to conceal matters, to the glory of kings to search the matter out. So we're going to dive deep. Um, but let's read real quick. So bear with me as I read these 31 verses. Now Dinah was the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, and she had went out uh, to see the daughters of the land. And then Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, and he took her and lay with her, and he violated her. His soul was strongly attached to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Get this young woman for me as my wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, and now his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and when they heard it, they were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give him to her, uh, or give her to him as a wife. And make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourself. So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it, and acquire possessions for yourself in it. Then Shechem said to the father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say uh, to me I will give. Excuse me. Uh, ask me ever so much of a dowry and a gift, and I will give it according to you what you say to me. Give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for, what, uh, for that would be a reproach upon us. But on this condition we will consent to you. If you will become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, then we will give you our daughters, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell in the land with you, and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter, and we will be gone. And their words pleased Hamor and, uh, and Shechem, Hamor's son. So the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem, his sons, came to the gate of their city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us. 
to be one people if every male among us is circumcised and as they are circumcised. Uh, will not their livestock, their property, even their animals of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them and, we will, uh, and they will dwell with us. And all who sit, uh, went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass that on the third day, when they were still in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and they killed Shechem his son with the edge of their sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. Then the sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. And they took their sheep and their oxen and their donkeys. That was in the city and what was in the field. And all of their wealth and all of the little ones and all of their wives they took captive. And they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have troubled me by making, obnoxious, by making me obnoxious uh, among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Um, and since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me, and they will kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, should he treat our daughter or our sister like a harlot? Let's pray. Dear God, we pray that tonight, uh, as we look at this sordid portion of Scripture, uh, as we look at this despicable story, God, I pray that we would... Uh, God, that we would be attentive to what you have to say to your people through your word. Uh, God, we know that you don't mess up, uh, and so this is here for a reason. Uh, God, and I pray that tonight, as we look at some of these things, uh, God, I pray that we would be encouraged. I pray that we would be built up. I pray that we would be challenged to live differently. Uh, God, I pray that we would leave this place different than the same, uh, or, or different than, than when we came in. Um, yeah, God. I don't want any of my words uh, to come through because um, I probably have some really bad jokes uh, to say about some of these sons. Uh, so, God, I want your words to come through. Uh, so, God, we just pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. So, going verse by verse through this, now you guys know why I told my dad thanks a lot. I mean, this, this is a story that we're like, whoa, what's happening here and why is this happening? Um, and so... I took a few notes, uh, and, and there's some really important things that I think we can pull from. Um, so we're going to go verse by verse, and, 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 and at times we're going to go through clumps. Um, but I'm going to break down some, some points. But I think in order to understand uh, the setting for the story, we have to go back and we have to read uh, the last few verses of chapter 33. I'm, I'm going to read verses 18 through 20 real quick, and it says this. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Uh, some translations will say, uh, to the city of Shalem, a city of Shechem, um, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he had come from Padamaram, he pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, uh, and 100 piece, uh, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar and called the place El Elohi Israel. Um, I think one of the most important things here uh, is Jacob. Uh, this whole story opens up with Jacob being disobedient. Uh, Jacob is just a colorful character. Uh, when we look at the Old Testament, I, I remember um, looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph when I was in kids' church uh, with flannel grams. Anyone remember flannel grams? Yeah, flannel grams. And I remember thinking, man, I want to be just like those guys when I grow up. They're just so cool. And then when you actually start studying them as adults, you're like, man, I really can learn from these guys' mistakes. This is messed up things they do. Uh, and God had told Jacob to go somewhere. And not only did he tell him to go somewhere, he said, I'm with you. He tells him to go back to the house of his father. And he says, I'm with you. And he gives him this great promise. So what does Jacob do, this man of God? He says, all right, God, great plan. I'm going to go do something else. Um, as, as terrible as this is, that sounds really familiar. Um, I see it a lot, and then I look in the mirror, and I'm like, I see it in myself too. Um, but this, this is human nature. God gives us blessing, and he gives us promise. And as Proverbs says, like a dog returns to its vomit, we go the complete opposite direction. 
like, oh, God's going to bless me even uh, because every, he'll give me the desires of my heart. So I'm going to go this way even though he told me. But God has a plan and a purpose for us. And if we just stick to it, we can avoid a lot of heartache. Uh, I, I think Jacob, at the end of this story, would have been like, probably should have gone back to my father's house. Probably should. He buys, not, not only does he just set up his tent like for vacation on his way, he buys a plot of land. Some translations say for a hundred pieces, and another says for five shekels. He, he buys a nice plot of land, sets up his tents there. He, he's here for the long haul. Uh, one Jewish tradition uh, from, from uh, Jewish history say that he, he settled there from verse 20 to verse 1 of 34, it's one and a half years he's been living where he's not supposed to. And uh, so we have Dinah, one of the daughters of Leah. She, she's going into the town uh, to see the daughters of the land. And th- there's a festival going on. All of the daughters, they're out doing their thing. They're, 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 it's, it's all the virgins of the land. And it's time, it's big marriage ceremony is going to be happening. And it's uh, cultural. It's, it's weird today. Uh, but the men could see women be like, hey, I, w- I want to marry her. What do I do? How do I marry her? Uh, and we know from Jewish tradition and Jewish history that Leah, Rachel, the daughters, they all went to the town just to see what was going on. So Dinah's not even supposed to be here. Shechem sees her and says, who's that? She's pretty attractive. Uh, and he's the prince. He's used to getting everything he wants. He's kind of a spoiled baby. Uh, and he does some things uh, that are very, very despicable. So we see here in verse 2, uh, and, and I'm not going to spend all the time here. Um, and the reason I'm not going to spend all the time here uh, is because sadly, as we, as we see, and we're going to break down the rest of this, uh, her brothers don't really care what happens. In, 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 in all reality, when we look at their heart behind some of the things, they don't care what happens. Jacob really doesn't care what happens. Uh, everyone's concerned about themselves. And, and, and we're going to see that, um, but we need to address this. Uh, Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, took her, lay with her, and violated her. Um, modern vernacular. Uh, this is rape, and this is not good. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us not only did he do this, but he kidnapped her, brought her into his house, and like held her for ransom. Uh, another Jewish tradition says not only was she kidnapped, but once she was kidnapped, uh, she was told to stay there. The act takes place, and it says instantly Shechem feels remorse, says he's sorry, asks her to marry her. Says, just stay in my house. It's great. Uh, we're going to see down the road that this is not great. His soul was strongly attached to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to this young woman. Uh, one of those Jew- Jewish traditions that I was talking about, uh, they're found in the Talmud, which are the Jewish uh, commentaries on Jewish scripture. Uh, it says that Jacob sends 12 of his servants, because his sons are out in the field, sends 12 of his servants to Shechem's house to bring Dinah back. It says Shechem and the men of his house drove the servants away, and then as they were hightailing it, Shechem brings Dinah out, kisses her on the cheek, flirts with her a little bit, just to like antagonize the servants. They go and tell Jacob, and Jacob's pretty frustrated. Uh, so let's, let's pick back up. It says, uh, Then Jacob heard how he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, and how his sons were with the livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. Um, here's our first real point, and, and, and we can see maybe some of the, the worldliness of Jacob. Um, Jacob did not need his sons to make a decision. Jacob's the man of the house. He's the leader of the family. Uh, he could have done something. But rather than doing something, he waits for his grown men's sons to get home so they can start bantering back and forth, so they can start getting angry, and they can start bringing things to action. Um, I think there's something that we can pull as people today from that. Uh, If someone offends you, uh, if someone does something to offend you, whether it's on purpose or not, um, don't wait until you can get a pity party around and start talking bad, start talking trash, maybe planning a plan of action to get back at them. Um, now, this situation, there's, there's some very physical things that are taking place, but an application, uh, this is pretty much gossip and slander. Uh, and those are things that should not be working in the life of a believer. Uh, we are called to be above that. So much so that Jesus said, uh, when you go to the altar, and you're going to offer 
a sacrifice, and you remember that your brother has something against you, not even that you have something against your brother, but that your brother has something against you, go and make it right with him, and then bring the offering. Uh, Jesus wants our hearts to be right with one another. Jacob could have gone and done something during the day, and it could have been done. But instead, he waits for his brother, or, or, or he, he waits for his sons, uh, and they put this war council together, and it's, it's not going to end pretty. So Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. Uh, at this point, Shechem is like, I messed up. That's one tradition. Maybe another tradition. He's just, he's just jealous or, or, or uh, uh, passionate. He's like, I don't care if I messed up or not. I want to marry her. Give me her as my wife. Uh, so they're like, we're going to go make this right. And, he, and they go to Jacob. But at that time, Jacob's sons had come in from the field. And when they heard what the men had to say, they were grieved and very angry because of what had been done this disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which, not, uh, which ought not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, and then he goes on to say, hey, Shechem wants to marry. Why don't you just move in? We'll be one people. We can benefit from each other. It'll be all okay. And right after that, it says, the sons of Jacob answered. Here, here, here's the second point I want to take from Jacob's actions. First action, he's not being a man and taking action. He, he's waiting so he can gossip or have a pity party and let's, let's go to war. Second thing, when this offer is given, as terrible as this sounds, and culturally today, I, we, we, we can't even fathom what's going on. Because at the end of the day, the right thing to do, it's a terrible situation, so the right thing, Jacob would have been like, okay, I understand, I'm going to marry her off to you, and we're going to get the best out of it that we can. That sounds terrible to say. Um, but culturally, that's what they did. Um, do I agree with it? No. I'm, I'm, I'm glad there's some new things that have come uh, in culture. But uh, Jacob, Jacob doesn't even speak up. Jacob doesn't even speak up. This is his daughter. This is his livelihood. This is... This is his flesh and blood, and he doesn't even speak up. He lets his sons, who are writhing and full of foam at the mouth, he lets them speak. He's a father. He's a head of a household. He's already messed up once by not speaking up, and now he's not speaking up again. And I think one thing to be drawn as, as heads of household, as, as fathers, as men, we're, we're, we're called to speak up. This is to the men, really. We're called to speak up and not be silent. But he lets his sons answer. And they answer with deceit. So everything, everything in this story is, is, is just way out of whack. Uh, this whole incident takes place. But then everything shifts from the incident. And the brothers, they're not even going to address him with, anger or what'd you do to my sister i'm gonna punch you in the face they're like oh okay yeah we'll let you marry her we'll let you marry her that that works what can we get out of this oh yeah yeah um why don't you guys all get to go to my house because they they already know what they're gonna do they already know what they're gonna do um and so with this deceit in their heart they ignore the fact that he was raped and they're gonna make an excuse so that they can kind of poke some fun and tease these guys a little bit down the road. Um, so Shechem and Hamor and all the men of the city, they're going to go and they're going to follow through with it. They're going to follow through with it. Um, one, one of those Talmuds I was talking about, um, Hamor's dad, a guy by the name of Chikadem, uh, he hears about what's going on and he says, you guys are crazy. You're actually going to let the Hebrew people coerce you into doing this. When all the people of the land hear about it, they're going to think you guys are pushovers. They're going to try and get everything they want out of you. So he tries to convince people to like go to war against Jacob. Uh, and, and, and that's alluded to in those last few verses where Jacob's like, everyone's going to want to come against me. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the mosquito bites. That was a, that was a Pastor Dave joke since he's not here. Uh, I heard one guy say the electrolytes. Uh, that, that one's pretty good, too. Um, but he says, uh, all these people are going to come against me and kill me. Um, yet, 
again, not caring about the situation, but caring about himself. Um, according to, to, to that tradition, uh, this is like halfway through them going through circumcision, and they're like, all right, well, uh, we, we're not going to be circumcised. It, 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 it looks like we are, but we're really not. And then they try and get out of it again because they're afraid of what people are going to say. But this is something that, that I, th- I think we can draw from um, these Hivites going through the circumcision just so that they can marry this daughter. Um, just because people talk the talk does not mean they're walking the walk. Um, people can show up to church. People can... Um, this is one of the ways it happens a lot. And, and, and I see this a lot in, in uh, the college age group. Um, not in our college age group currently, but I've seen it in our college age group. I've seen it in our college age group. Uh, but I remember seeing it when I was on campus at Clackamas Community College. I remember seeing it at Portland State where you have the one person. Uh, in many cases, it's always a good, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing young lady. Um, and, and she's got really high standards, and uh, praise the Lord. Um, but you have, like, the pretty just boneheaded guy who's like, oh, man, I really, I think this girl's cute. I, w- I want to date her. I want to marry her. Like, uh, maybe not even want to marry her, but just is pursuing this girl. And she's like, no, man. You're not, you're not saved. Jesus said don't be unequally yoked. And you see time and time again people pretend to be Christians. Uh, you see people go through the motions. You see people go to church. Look at me. I'm a, I'm a believer. Believe in Jesus. All this. Great things. And then the second something actually comes of it, oh, yeah, no, that Jesus thing, that wasn't actually, what's that sound, babe? Uh, that wasn't real. That wasn't real. That wasn't, and just because I heard one person say it like this, and I think this is really good. Um, you park a car in a garage. If you go stand in the garage and say, I'm a car, I'm a car, I'm a car, because I'm where a car's supposed to be, does that make us a car? Absolutely not. Just like going to church does not make us a Christian. It's about what's actually going on in our life. So Shechem and Hamor and all these guys, they're going through motions, but there's no true conversion. By doing this, they're not becoming Jew. So at the end of the day, this still isn't even a right marriage in the eyes of God. But they're going... Jacob's sons messed up you guys by doing this. Um, By the time we get to verse 19, we see Shechem. Shechem's actually doing the right thing in this story, which is really weird to say. But he's like, I'm not going to delay. I'm going to make this right. And I'm going to do what needs to be done to make it right. I, I, I wrote this in my Bible. Um, this was probably 2010. I put a star next to this verse. Uh, this was when I was uh, single, very single. And I said, do anything for love. Um, that's the later portion of this, like where uh, he's actually making the good decision. Um, but the kid is making the best of the situation. And Hamor and Shechem, they came to the gate of the city. They tell everyone, hey, these people, they're at peace with us. And then we see these guys make a terrible decision also. When they give their discourse to everyone, it ends with, hey, and once these people become one with us, doesn't that mean we get their livestock? Doesn't that mean we get their money? Doesn't that mean we get everything? It's pretty much ours. So now they've taken this terrible situation Try to start making it better, but then just let humanity and their own fallen nature take over. And now they're making it a terrible situation again. They're trying to steal from Jacob. And they want to take everything that Jacob's amassed. And he's amassed a pretty big wealth. He worked for Laban for quite a while. And we see in the previous chapters, Jacob had some stuff. And now these people are like, he's got some stuff. We want his stuff. We already took his daughter. Let's take everything else. I mean, just a seriously messed up story. They go out, the gate starts going down. Verse 25. This is where revenge is starting to come in in the hearts of Simeon and Levi. And no matter no matter how unjust, I mean, it doesn't get much more unjust than what's taking place. Uh, daughter's been kidnapped, daughter's been raped. Um, now they want to steal everything from Jacob. But 
no matter how unjust it is, uh, murdering an entire town, you, you can't justify it. You cannot justify it. Um, the Jewish historian of the, of the first century B.C., a guy by the name of uh, Theodotus, uh, he, he writes that Simeon, uh, Simeon was convinced that he had to go murder everybody. But he was the only one who was convinced. So it says he goes to Levi, his brother, and says, I mean, this is a direct quote from, from the historian Theodotus who, who was quoting an oral tradition. He says that Simeon goes to Levi and says, the word of the Lord has been revealed to me. When God told Father Abraham he would take over nations, the Lord was speaking about us taking out this entire nation. So whether that actually happened, and it's not in Scripture, so we can't say this, that, that phrase and that, that conversation actually took place, but I think we can pull something pretty important from that. He said, the word of God has been revealed to me. Let's go do this. Um, how often have we seen, how often do we hear of, how often do we as believers do that very thing? Where we can proof text and find a verse to help us in our situations. Oh, I'm praying about this. Uh, I'm going to hop on concordance.com and find out in the Bible where there's a verse about it where God says, uh, do this and you'll be blessed. And it's like, oh my goodness, God spoke to me through his word. God speaks through his word. That's very real. But if we use God's word for ill intent, if we use God's word just to further our own progression, that, that's not really God speaking to us. Just because these are his words and we read them does not mean it's him speaking to us and telling us to go do something. Um, Pastor Dave, my dad, uh, huge influence in my life. Huge influence in my life. Uh, and I remember there were times where I was in high school uh, and I was sure God was telling me something. Uh, you know, like every 16-year-old high school guy who loves the Lord, God tells that person he's going to marry someone, you know. Like I remember being 16, like God's telling me I'm going to marry this person. Um, 16, Matt, listen. Um, so I would, I would go, and I knew the Bible somewhat well when I was 16, you know. So I'd go, I'd be like, I got the verse. God spoke to me. For this reason, a man shall leave his mother and his father and cleave to his wife. 16, I'm using the scriptures not the way they're intended to be used, you know. Um, I'd, I'd do the... Bible roulette thing where you like stop it and let the Bible open and find a verse and then it's like oh that didn't work okay maybe God wanted me to turn the page you know you like turn the page like oh there's the verse that's good um, that's not how God speaks to us through his word uh, my dad told me this he said uh, you'll know God is speaking to you through his word uh, when it is something you could not no matter how hard you try fathom for you if you can make it happen then you're making it happen but if you can't make it happen, God is speaking to you. Listen. Uh, and uh, I was having a conversation with someone just recently where I said, I know when God has spoke to me through his word. Because they were situations where no matter how hard I tried, I could not actually fabricate what just happened. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give just one tiny story of how that happened. First Bible I ever got, New King James. Um, like a little precious moments New King James Bible, you know. Uh, so I grew up reading the New King James. Uh, then when I was able to buy my own Bible, I bought Extreme Youth Edition, New King James. And, and uh, a Bible I got when I graduated high school, New King James. Uh, not because I think all the other versions uh, aren't good. It's just New King James. That's, that's all I've ever known. And I love the New King James. Um, so in my first year as a youth pastor, uh, we did this. Uh, Stephanie, you'd remember this. Brandon, you'd remember this. We did this thing called Sevenary. Uh, where uh, it was like seminary for the youth kids, and it was over summer, and we'd meet for one day uh, out of the week, like all day. Uh, we'd do devotions, then we'd do uh, Bible study. I'd bring like half my library, and we'd just do exhaustive studies through the Word of God, uh, and, and we'd give out words, and everyone had to write a five-minute sermon, and then at the end of it, everyone presented their sermon to the group, and then at the end of summer, we put like the four best sermons and then those youth got to preach them on a Sunday morning. It was really cool. We're doing it again this year, so get ready to hear from some, some youth. But first-year youth pastoring, Bible study, exhaustive Bible study, and guess who forgot their Bible? 
got my Bible to this. I love this Bible. This Bible went missing for like three months. So my wife stole it and got it rebound, which is really cool. But I was, I thought I left it somewhere. And like, I legitimately take it out of my car every night because I'm afraid it's going to get stolen. I don't know if I'm putting too much weight on this. Actually, this book, there's a lot of notes in there. I forgot my Bible. Freak accident. That's the number one reason why I know uh, this is not me fabricating this thing. So what do I do? I look around for a Bible. I can't ask a youth kid to borrow their Bible because then I look terrible, you know. Uh, so I know John has a spare Bible in his car. So I go to his car while he's doing devotions, and I grab his Bible, and it's an NIV. I've never owned an NIV. I rarely have even read an NIV. I used to make jokes with my friends uh, in college. It's the nearly inspired version. But, like, so I never read the NIV. I don't have anything against the NIV. Um, but I was like, this is ridiculous. Okay, I'm going to use this. Don't know why. And I'm praying. And before, like, I'm praying in as clear as day in my head, my eyes are closed, I begin to see pages of a Bible flip. This, this doesn't happen. I don't see weird daydreams of Bibles. Um, and all of a sudden, Isaiah 56 shows up in the, uh, up in the corner. Now, I haven't read the book of Isaiah very much to know, oh man, I should really be thinking about Isaiah 56 this morning. Because I was going through a very pivotal time in my life, and there was a very big event that had taken the play, uh, taking place the day right before. And it was like life-changing, rocking my world. I don't know where I'm going to go from this point on. Uh, I, I thought my entire world had been kicked out from underneath me. Uh, and so I was like, dear God, I need to hear from you. I remember that entire night. I'm, I'm pleading with the Lord, I need to hear from you. So Isaiah 56 pops into my mind. I have no clue what Isaiah 56 is. I'm like, this can't be from me. This is from God. What do I do? I grab my brother's NIV. And I go to Isaiah 56. And I read the first two verses, and it rocks my world. Why? Because there's one phrase in there, one set of words that says, hold fast. And I don't have time tonight to actually break down why that mean, like, me meant something to me at the time. Uh, but every year I kind of give myself a phrase. Uh, and I, I, I pray about it for a week, and then it's like, all right, Lord, this is this year's phrase. That was the, the word he'd given me back in January. We're in June now. Um, so I'm freaking out at this point. So I'm like, I'm just going to get my Bible. It's NIV. What's going on? God had a reason. So I go and I actually take one of my youth kids' Bibles. I just take it from them because it's the New King James. I read, hold fast is not in the, in the New King James. It says stand fast. So the Lord allowed me to forget my Bible, gave me the weirdest daydream. I turn there, and it's a word he'd given me six months earlier. And when I went and began to, to, to read the rest, it actually had something, and it, it addressed the issue that had taken place in my life. And God spoke to me, and I knew what I had to do. And I knew I didn't fabricate. So in that case, I was like, the Lord spoke to me. He's revealed to me in his word. He spoke to me. Simeon? He's pulling some random phrase, misusing what God intended. When God said, I'll give you the nations, he was talking about the nations being blessed through his seed. He was not talking about going and slaying nations so that you can be the coolest person on earth, Abraham. Uh, so Simeon is just messed up. So not only is he not really concerned about his sister, he's more concerned about just getting back at people. Not only is he just concerned about getting back at people, he's like, they're going to try and steal from my dad. He, like, forgets what they did to Dinah, and he's like, they're going to try and steal my horse. And so he misuses Scripture, convinces Levi to go with him, and then they come with their sword, and it says they came boldly. These guys, they didn't just, like, saunter into town like, Oh, I wonder what everyone's doing today. Oh, everyone's sore. I have my sword. I could kill them. No, they come boldly with intent to do wrong. How often do we run headlong into sin willfully? When we're presented with an opportunity to not give in, or we just say, you know what, whatever, I'm going into this. And it can be from very big sin in in, in our understanding of things, very big sin to very little sin. It doesn't matter the scope of it. If it's sin and if it's willful and there's intent, uh, the book of Galatians has some very important things. Galatians chapter 5 has some very poignant things to say about people who practice sin, which literally means those who are running headlong with 
intent to sin. It's not just, I accidentally stumbled here, but no, you wake up in the morning, oh, I'm going to go sit down with God, I'm going to go do this. Uh, the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, he says, those people don't inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, I take God's word for what it is. It's God's word. When God says they don't inherit the kingdom of God, I really want to check myself before I wreck myself. It's very real. So these guys, they don't care. They run in, and they're killing everyone. Not only do they kill everyone, all the men, but then goes on to say in verse 27, that not just Simeon and Levi, but that the sons of Jacob, their brothers were like, dude, you left without us. And they show up, and they loot the entire city. Are they going to, like, put a plaque on the door and say, don't mess with our sisters? They're not going to say, uh, what's behind this door? Oh, there's some gold? Let's go take it. Oh, there's some livestock? Let's go take it. I think there's a reason why God called these people out of Laban's house. Um, and I bet he was telling Jacob you should leave, kind of nudging him along the way, before these, when these boys were little, and Jacob just wasn't paying attention. Because these boys picked up some pretty bad habits from Laban's family. Laban was a greedy son of a gun. What are these guys? They're greedy sons of Jacob. And all they want to do is just kill and plunder, kill and plunder, kill and plunder. They're, they're, they're following their uncle's footsteps rather than their grandfather's footsteps. I think they should have been following. Uh, one of those traditions I, I, I had said, uh, when Simeon responds, hey, if you guys all become circumcised, one of those traditions says, you know what, that sounds good, but me and Levi, we have to go ask our grandpa Isaac and see what he would say about it, because he knows what Abraham would say, and if Abraham's okay with it and Isaac's okay with it, then we'll be okay with it. Just like further deceit, they have no intention to actually make right. They knew from the onset, we're going we're gonna to do what we want. And so often, we as believers can live like this. And, and I want to go back now to Hamor and Shechem on that. If we claim to be believers, yet that's the way we're living, I'm running headlong into sin. I'm running headlong into sin. I don't care. I'm not feeling remorse. I don't even care about the situation. I'm more cared about what people will think of me. So I'm going to just continue sin, continue sin. Um, we might be a human standing in a garage, claiming to be a car. I think that's why uh, the Apostle Paul tells us to inspect ourselves. Inspect ourselves. Uh, because Jacob's sons, hey, Father Abraham, we're his descendants. We got it made. We got it made. We can do whatever we want. We're the chosen people. Um, God calls us, and he saves us. I think that's awesome. Um, but just because he saves us, that happens quick. Um, but the actual change in our life, uh, it doesn't happen like that. That's why there's a difference between justification and sanctification. Justification happens, you save us. But we're not sanctified like that. Some people will say, well, yeah, you're sanctified at that time as well. Um, in God's perspective, because he sees the end from the beginning, we're already sanctified. But we don't live in the future, looking back, no, we have to live each day. And there's a process of sanctification. We have to be holy because he is holy. That's why Jesus says, be holy for I am holy. It's a daily decision that we have to make. I'm going to be different because the old man, my flesh is telling me to do something. And that's not what God's word, God's word says I should be doing. Jacob, Jacob. He heard the Lord. He wrestled with the Lord. He, yet he still was making terrible decisions. So they go. They take the sheep, the ox, and the donkeys. All that was in the city. All that was in the field. All the wealth. They take the children. They take the wives. Um, one of those histories says that the children and the wives became their servants all the way until the time Jacob goes down to Egypt. So, I mean, just, just not good. Uh, and then Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, and 
this is the part that's so frustrating for me. He says, you've troubled me. And then he goes on to say, you've troubled me by making my name bad amongst all my neighbors. They think I'm a bad dude now because you go around doing this. What? Why'd you do that? Jacob's daughter is there. Jacob has opportunity to make it right, doesn't. Rather, wants to have this war council with his son. Then given another opportunity to make it right. Let's his son speak on his behalf. He's kind of being a pansy. His sons go and do a despicable act. And at the end of the day, he's not frustrated with what happened to Dinah. He's not frustrated with the fact that they wanted to steal all his money. He's not frustrated that his son like went and killed everyone. He's frustrated because now people are going to talk bad about him. Seriously, this is this is messed up. He's more concerned. And I say he's messed up. But the crazy thing about this, the word of God, living water, what do you do when you look at water long enough? You see a reflection. I say Jacob's messed up. But then I, I, I look at this and I think about this. And I see myself. And how often do I get frustrated at people? How often do I get frustrated at myself? Because I'm afraid of what people will say after I've sinned. I'm not even frustrated that I sinned. I'm not even frustrated that I just legitimately spit in the face of God because He's given me grace and I've abused the grace of God. I don't even... That doesn't even frustrate me. I'm more frustrated what people are going to think because of my sin. How selfish am I? How selfish is there? How selfish are we as human beings? It's, it's really sobering. It's really sobering. And so as I say this, I, Lord, Give me a hatred for sin the way you hate sin. Because sometimes I just, little things. Pastor Dave's been, been, been talking to myself and all the interns. Um, one thing I love about my dad, um, he's, he's very transparent. And apparently he told you guys last week, about one of his uh, experiences on the road. Uh, you guys heard one. We hear them every week. <laughs> every week with the staff. Uh, sorry, Pastor Dave. Um, but so he's been telling us that he's now, he, he's going to drive the speed limit because that's the law and we submit to authority. And he realizes if he drives the speed limit, he's not going to get mad at the guy who's going slow. The guy who's going slow is going the speed limit, right? Uh, and so cognizant about even just the littlest things. When was the last time any of you went five over the speed limit? Right? I mean, on the way to church tonight, um, three over, one over. I mean, if you're going even like half a mile an hour over the speed limit, technically you're breaking the law. Which if we really want to get dogmatic, I'm not going to say legalistic because it's the, it's the reality. We're not honoring authority. So we're sinning. And if we would actually live our lives like that one, we'd be kind of like, we just wouldn't want to leave our rooms, right? Um, but the reality is, how often do we just sin without even knowing it? Praise God that we were once dead in our sin and uh, uh, trespasses, willful, and the ones we didn't even know we were committing. We were children of wrath. But then, like, the two greatest words in all of the Bible, but God. Uh, I mean, theologically, it doesn't get any bigger than that. Uh, who is rich in mercy? But God, he, he, he forgave us. And, and Paul says to the church in Rome, he says, yeah, free. We have grace. We're free. And then 
presupposing what the Roman church would respond with, oh, if we're free, can we do whatever we want? He goes, certainly not. Certainly not. We've been set free, and now we live in that freedom. Uh, but that's not freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin. Uh, Augustine, uh, the, one of the greatest church fathers, uh, and when it, when it comes to Christian theology, uh, big five, he's probably top three, maybe number one or two. Uh, Augustine was theological giant of the fourth century. Um, Augustine said, Christian ethics can be summed up in this phrase. Love God and do whatever you want. Love God and do whatever you want. Because if you truly love God, you're going to do the things that he loves. And when we think about that, when we look at these guys, what are they doing? And how often do I, how often do we, knowingly or unknowingly, act like Simeon, act like Levi. Um, maybe not as much, but we really act like Jacob quite a bit. Uh, and, and the more, that's why I just love studying God's word. And, and that's why I love that hillside, how we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Because so often, like I, I talk to some of my friends uh, and, and, and guys who, who are even pastoring, who, who are my age. Oh, we're going through Genesis. Oh, yeah, you're talking about creation. <laughs> There's so much more in the book of Genesis. And if we actually take the time to dive in, man, every single page of this book not only shows us Jesus, but it shows us ourselves, and it shows us how great Jesus is, and it shows us we really fall short of the glory of God. And we are in need of a Savior. And Jacob, why have you made me look bad? Doesn't even care about anything else. end this chapter, or his sons end this chapter, Dinah's brothers, they end it with, yet again, another misunderstanding of everything that's taking place. They say, should we treat, should we let him treat our sister like a harlot? Forgetting the conversation that he wanted to make it right. He knew he messed up. It's a terrible situation, but he wanted to make it right. And because of their rage, they overlooked that, and they just they're, they're, they're set on it. Um, as believers, um, we are called to um, to live for the Lord. And we can often get this holier than now, raise ourselves up on a pedestal. We're Christians. We're better than everyone around us. Um, you know what's awesome about Hillside? I don't see that very often on Hillside. I love it. I love it. Um, but man, I've had conversations with people. Um, I worked at Starbucks um, for a year when I was in college. Uh, I legitimately had Bible-believing Christian brother in the community. Didn't know me. Didn't know me at the time. He knows me now, and we're friends now. Uh, but he came in just on a rant, and he was telling me, you can't make my coffee. I did my hair different back in the day, so I'll, I'll preface it with this. Um, but he just starts going off on me because I'm homosexual and telling me all these things about me. doesn't know me. He's telling me all these things about me. He's like, God's not happy with you. Boom, boom, boom. And he just goes off on me. And I'm like, don't know me and at the end of the day as believers as believers um, we're not any better we're not any better than anyone around us um, is our future does our future look better yes we have a hope um, but are we any better no and so we have to understand that we're no better the person down the road because if we get in this i'm better i'm better uh it affects our evangelism uh it affects the way we share the gospel with those around us um and in all reality it can make us become the villain of the story when we become aggressive when we get behind people's backs we rally together and be like did you hear what he said he is so and so 
you know, and like we just get in these, rather than, hey, I'm going to go do something about it. That person said something that I didn't agree with politically. That person said something that I didn't agree with theologically. That person said something I don't agree with life-wise. Rather than sit back, hang out with my Christian buddies, be like, oh, my goodness, I was at Walmart today, and this person said this, blah, 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 and just talk about about non-believers. What, what are we doing to actually go engage? And um, I'm not trying to come down or anything. I'm trying to inspire. Um, I, I believe God has so much for his followers who are actually fulfilling commission that he's commissioned us to um and that's why i'm super stoked i'm super stoked uh next week there's no evening service um that's not why i'm stoked next week there's no evening service because it's easter but then the next week after that you gotta you gotta really put your words in the right order you know uh, but the next week after that we're starting a new series at hillcrest we're taking a pause from genesis uh and our series is called let's talk basics uh, and what we're going to do, we're going to look at some of the basics of what it means just to be a follower of Christ. We're going to initially just strip it all of its Christianese. And then when we actually start diving into it, we're going to understand Christianese. We're going to understand what it means to be sanctified. We're going to understand what it means to be someone who is actually living out the mission of Christ. Um, and there's some really practical things. And I, you know what I believe? I believe there's going to be some people standing in a garage who have the epiphany. It's time I become a call. I can't actually become a call. There's going to be some people who are in the church who think they're saved or who maybe don't even care. But by the end of it, they're going to be like, you know what? That's what I believe. And that's how I want to live my life. And I believe people are going to get on fire for Jesus. And, uh, What's super cool about that uh, is we're going to see people, rather than living like Jacob, we're going to see people start living like Joseph. Um, we're going to see, this is a little fast forward, um, but Jacob has a few more sons. Uh, and one of his sons, pretty cool dude. He's got a really cool wardrobe. Um, when you actually look at it like in its original, maybe it didn't actually mean many colors. Maybe it meant long sleeves, but different topic for a different day. Uh, but he's got a cool wardrobe because his father likes him because he's not a jerk like all of the other brothers. Jacob's like, yeah, I should have been like this kid. I'm going to let his brothers hate him. Again, his brothers mess up. These same guys, they care more about their own ego. They care more about their own reputation. They throw him in a pit. And then one of the brothers is like, guys, we got a really bad track record. We've got a really bad track record. We can't kill him. Let's sell him. Way to, way to make your point. Uh, and so they sell him, and man, Joseph lived above reproach in Egypt. Living in a land that's not his own. But he's living above reproach, so much so that the people of that land, they see it. They like it. One doesn't like it and gets put in jail for a few years. But, but then the Pharaoh, we're talking numero uno of Egypt, says, Hey, Joseph, hey, foreigner, um, got a pretty cool thing going with your God. You want to be numero dos? Uh, be my right-hand man? And he does. And he actually saves Egypt, but not only saving Egypt, he saves the land of Canaan because they all come to Egypt. And Egypt's most wealthy time historically is the time that Joseph, this man of God who's actually doing what God's called him to do, in a place that he shouldn't even be. But he's there because of misfortune. But he sticks the course. Jacob, on his way to a place he should have been, decides to leave the course. And it all goes, it all goes bad. Joseph is so good. Um, so all that to say, uh, I'm really excited about our, our series, Let's Talk Basics. Um, and when we look at chapter 34, weird it's a weird story um it's a chapter 38 but dr david doesn't have a lot in there <laughs> uh yeah we got even weirder stories man uh it it gets weirder than this um but it's another son of leah um 
has something to say to us on every page of Scripture. No matter how crazy the story sounds, uh, God has something to say to the church. Um, I, 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 I quoted it a little bit last Sunday morning. Uh, the youth groups heard me talk about it, um, and the young adults group, uh, I, I, I spent a week talking about it. Uh, but the Lord's really been laying some things on my heart uh, more recently um, as I've been studying the book of Revelation. Um, I, I thought I'd finish the book in three months and have like a comprehensive study of it. Uh, it took me a month and a half to get through chapters two and three, uh, seven letters to seven churches. Uh, why did it take me that long to just go through two chapters? Uh, well, because there were some things that I had overlooked. There's some things that I overlooked. Um, the book of Revelation, everyone wants to get to the crazy stuff, right? I want to get to these monsters and these beasts. I want to find these arms and I want all this and that. Uh, and I just kind of like read through the seven letters real quick. But at the end of every single letter, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He who has an ear, let him hear. I've been studying Revelation for like 20 years. And I wasn't even listening. I would say I have an ear to hear because I want to hear, but I hadn't even listened. Uh, and, 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 and there's just this newfound passion and, and, and maybe we all have the passion already and I'm just late to the game um, but I'd like to believe there's a lot of people like me uh, and, and when we all agree having more passion when we study God's word could be helpful right so I have this newfound passion when I study the word of God um, that I'm going to read it and I'm going to read it again I'm going to say kind of maybe the things that I think it's saying and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look deeper. I'm going to continue to dig. I'm going to continue to dig. Uh, and I'm not going to be satisfied just like, oh, I'm here in chapter 34. Crazy story. I read through it. On to chapter 35. No, no, no. I'm as dirty as, as thick of the mud is. I'm going to trudge through it. And I'm, I'm going to see because I bet there's some treasures in this mud. Uh, and at the end of the day, the treasures God's telling me, Mac, you're kind of like Jacob. You need to, you need to grow up. Uh, so Maybe I'm just preaching what the Lord said to me. Uh, but nod your head with me if, if there's a little bit of this that you, you can take and say, you know what, maybe, maybe I need to be doing some things different or just have a better perspective at times. Um, all that to say, and I'm going to wrap up with this. I'm going to finish five minutes early. Is that okay? Um, as, as we take the time, to read through scripture. I don't know if any of you are doing like a Bible in a year kind of plan, uh, or, or, or maybe maybe you're just, I read my Proverbs, and that's all I read. Um, I want to encourage you, if, if you're a Proverbs only, uh, daily devotional, I- expand it. Expand it. Proverbs is great. There's a lot. Um, maybe you're a Bible in a year kind of uh, de- devotional reader, uh, and when you get to certain portions, you just like speed read through it, you skim through it, you're like, okay, he begat him, boom, 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 boom. I mean, chapter 35, we're going to get, like, Esau's descendants. Um, and that's a lot of names. Um, but here's the crazy story. God didn't mess up. These are here for a reason. There's actually meat amongst what this looks like. Like, skip over for a second. But I want to encourage each and every single one of us this morning. Uh, God's word should be paramount in our lives. Uh, we should be people who read God's word. Um, Pastor Dave always says this. I, I think it's amazing. It's been instilled in me in this young age. Uh, we should be people who read God's word. We should be people who study God's word. We should be people uh, who meditate on God's word. We should be people who memorize God's word. We should be people who obey God's word. Right? I mean, those are some pretty solid standards to live by. Um, and I want to encourage you guys uh, that when you get to random portions of Scripture that maybe you're like, that does not mean anything to me, uh, spend another 10 minutes. Dig a little deeper. Dig a little deeper. Because I guarantee, I guarantee, God has something rocking. And here's the closing point. Preachers always say, I'm closing and then I'm closing and closing. Uh, you got to have at least three to complete the closing trinity and then, uh, then seven closings to make it complete, right? Um, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We want to be people who grow in our faith. We want to be built up in our most holy faith, right? Uh, how does faith grow? Um, Santa Claus, the movie with Tim Allen, uh, people, people b- believe in the things you can't see, like there, there's all this like, ooh, but then when you see it, you're like, wow, I actually believe it. Um, Jesus said, hey, blessed are you because you, you believed me and you saw me, but 
there's going to be those who come later. They don't see me, yet they still believe in me. Uh, faith is not, I have to see it and tangibly touch it. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, or, or the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our faith grows, yes, when we see God come through. But I think our faith grows even more. God's word tells us our faith grows even more when we are built up on the word. Built up on the word. So I want to encourage you guys. I'm going to close in prayer right now. Um, sorry, this is third day. Um, be people of God's word. Don't just skip over a chapter because it looks messy. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we just got to come hang out uh, and study your word. Uh, God, I pray that you continue to speak to us uh, through your spirit, that you continue to speak to us, uh, uh, to us through your word. God, I pray that even as we meditate on these things uh, from chapter 34, uh, God, I pray that uh, we're challenged. I pray that we're inspired. Uh, God, I pray that we're built up. Uh, God, help us this week. Help us this week to see the times where we're Jacob. God, help us this week to see the times where we're Shechem, where we're Simeon, where we're Levi, when we're all the sons, when we're Hamor. All these, all these guys in this, in this chapter, um, God, help me, help us see the times where, the, where we are these people. Um, and God, may we grow. May we not make the same mistakes. Uh, a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wise man learns from his mistakes better. Um, God, I want to be a wiser man. So God, yes, we thank you. We praise you. In your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.